After conversations about the role of racism in American society, Californians will have the chance to undo a ban on affirmative action. It's on the ballot that's on the way to your mailbox. It's State Proposition 16. If approved, it would undo the 24-year-old ban. Recent polling shows support flagging, however. This raises questions about California's commitment to racial equity, as well as a critique of the state's performative wokeness. For the San Diego Union-Tribune, I'm Daniel Wheaton, and this is your San Diego News Fix. John Wilkins, you cover a number of things at the San Diego Union-Tribune, and you took a look at this proposition that's going to be on the ballot. Let's get people up to speed with how we got here. Let's start with the history. How did this ban on affirmative action come to be? So it, it passed in 1996 as Proposition 209, came at a time of a lot of discussion about these kinds of issues. It was spearheaded in part by Pete Wilson, the Republican governor of California at the time. So that um, measure 209 ended any kind of racial preference, gender preference, national origin preference in any kind of government um, decision-making. So it affected public education, it affected public employment, it affected uh, contracts handed out by uh, governments. Mm-hmm. And what were the coalitions that were pushing for this proposition then? Can you kind of give a sense of the political landscape at the time? Well, so the political, it came, uh, came just a couple of years after Proposition 187, which some people may remember as the measure that um, restricted the ability of undocumented immigrants to get public services like health care and education. That passed in the state as well, eventually was immediately challenged in court and eventually invalidated in federal court and never went into existence here. So it was that kind of, that kind of wave of, uh, of uh, Republican-led um, discussions about those kinds of issues in California. And then uh, Pete Wilson ran on 187, was reelected as governor, and then he had his eye on the White House. He saw uh, challenges to affirmative action as a way to maybe curry favor with some voters. So he pushed, he was among those who pushed for that. He was, as, as governor, he's president of the UC Board of Regents. So he got the regents to narrowly approve ending any kind of racial preferences in the admissions policy. And then a year later, took it to the voters with Proposition 209 in it. Narrowly passed, well, passed with almost 55% of the vote in mm-hmm. California. It did quite a bit better in San Diego County where it got about 63% of the vote mm-hmm. in favor. Yeah, it sounds like, in a way, um, a lot of the changes to immigration, for example, that the country has been going through, that conversation kind of happened in California, like, you know, a quarter century earlier. It's kind of interesting to see those echoes in what happened with the Trump administration as well. Yeah, it's, you know, California is a trendsetter, and I guess uh, California is a trendsetter in that direction as well. On affirmative action, a number of states followed suit after California passed its ban. I think there are now eight or nine other states that have similar prohibitions. And, and Proposition 209 was a constitutional amendment loaded into the Constitution that these kinds of preferences could no longer be considered. So, and there have been a couple of efforts over the years to take it back to the ballot. They never got out of the state legislature. This one did, which I think is largely a reflection of the things that have been going on in San Diego County and nationwide as you know, the country kind of wrestles with some of the issues of racism uh, in our past. And can you kind of transition us to the political changes that have occurred over these, you know, almost quarter century? Because the forces that were pushing for this ban 
aren't really as present in California anymore. Why don't you explain that transition? Well, so so California is not as conservative as it used to be politically. The, the registrations for Republicans have dropped statewide and in the county, uh, in the county by by a pretty substantial amount. It's partly a rise of um, people who prefer to be no party preference now. The NPP is pretty much even with the Republican Party now, while the Democrats have remained fairly stable. Uh, demographically, the gone, we've gone from. Uh, fewer whites in the state and in the county um, o- over that period of time. So so both the county and the state have become more diverse. Mm-hmm. And it makes sense that these kind of demographic changes, you know, take a generation for it to have political impacts because, you know, it's not a light switch. It takes a while. Yeah, very, very, very true. And it's, and it's of course, wrong also to think that various various races or groups of people are monolithic, right? There's, there's variations within those numbers, obviously. But, um, you know, the general, I think some of the general thinking behind the push for Proposition 16, which is the one on the ballot November 3rd, the, the changes in demographics and, and political uh, persuasion are part of the reason why they thought maybe now the time was right to pursue uh, another look at affirmative action. Yeah, and there's also a big San Diego connection here because Assemblywoman Shirley Weber was involved. Why don't you explain that as well? Yeah, so she was the lead author of the legislation uh, in California to return this to the ballot. And, um, you know, she it's actually started well before the coronavirus or before a lot of the George Floyd-related demonstrations that we've seen. I think she actually started looking at this late last year, and she was moving forward and I think she was kind of seeing some of the uh, similar headwinds they'd run into previously. And then you had all these sort of forces coming together that made it seem like maybe now was the time to do it. She got the, the support she needed in the Assembly and in the Senate. The UC Regents this time uh, backed it unanimously. And there's a whole slate of um, you know major elected officials who are on board in favor of Proposition 16, you know, the, the two US senators from California, are in favor of it. Um, Shirley Weber, as you mentioned, Lorena Gonzalez-Fletcher from the San Diego area, of course, is a big backer of it as well. Uh, Kevin Faulkner, our Republican mayor, has also signed up on the side of being uh, in favor of Proposition 16. So when you just sort of look at it in terms of the trends and in terms of the sort of firepower they have behind the measure, I mean, another measure, another way to look at that is financially, right? Proposition 16 has, I think it's almost has raised almost $12.5 million. The opponents to the proposition have, have raised less than a million dollars. So that kind of war chest disparity usually signals things, you know, in favor of one side or the other. So, you know, there was a lot of, there was a lot of thinking that maybe this is the time that um, the voters would, would, would approve it. And um, the, polling, the polling, however, recently suggests otherwise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and what do we know now about the kind of narrative that the proponents of this, uh, the Proposition 16 are pushing? Because when it comes to affirmative action, I think one of the issues you face is that people have different ideas of what that is. An extreme view may be, you know, jobs require to have a number of minority applicants, then it must be considered, while others could be as loose as, oh, if the demography is not matching our population, maybe there's a problem. So how do they kind of hone in those arguments, given that there's many ways you could take this? Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's a complicated issue. It gets very confusing very fast. And confused voters generally vote no. 
So um, an affirmative action means lots of different things. Quotas generally are not, they're, they're frowned on. They've been frowned on by the Supreme Court in various decisions. The UC regents, and I talk about the regents a lot because when people talk about affirmative action in California, it almost immediately goes to college admissions. That's been especially true in California since 209 passed because it's become more restrictive for everybody to get into those colleges. There's just more demand for those slots. It's harder and harder to get in. So, um, you know, they have they have been able to look at things like uh, the financial situation, whether you're the first in your family to go to school, what uh, what part of the state you live in, some of the things that might suggest that you you face some systemic hardships, but they have not been able to look at race in particular or gender in particular. So, and you know, when voters look at affirmative action, uh, it's never done very well in polling or in elections anywhere, not just in California. And I think part of the problem is that when, when a lot of people see words like racial preferences, their immediate reaction is to recoil from that. It just seems fundamentally unfair to have preferences in that way. And there are other people who look at this and say, you know, enough time has passed. Um, you know, we've 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 really moved beyond that, and we are a more, you know, equal society. Of course, the reverse reverse of that is that you can't really undo um, decades, if not centuries, of systemic racism and um, inequality in a short in in that short a period of time. So, it's some of the same inequalities that have made it hard for certain uh, members of our population to have the same opportunities, the same chances in education and employment, um, you know, they still need, they still need a hand up. Mm -hmm. And to what extent uh, do you kind of hear how the Black Lives Matter protests over the summer and that are still ongoing had an impact on this proposition? Because as with any social movement, increased focus can cause people to become even more polarized. You're seeing this, the members of the right focusing on violence in the cities, while those in the left, you know, bring up all of the recent scholarly work about how structural racism is making the problems America has even worse. So with that in mind, kind of where do things stand? Well, I think, uh, I think it probably depends on which poll you look at, but I mean, in a general, in a general sense, I, see, I think you're seeing some waning of public support for Black Lives Movement. Um, things. Um, you know, there was, a, when, it, when it first started out, there was a pretty substantial public support for the idea that um, there was racial inequality in this country and that something needed to be done to fix it. And I think some of those questions now over time have started, have started to erode a little bit. So whether that's playing a role in some of the current thinking about this initiative or not, you know, we'll just have to see. I mean, when people finally cast their ballots, we'll learn whether we're really in a moment right now or whether this is just sort of a continuation of some of the more general trends that political scientists have noticed. Over the years, that general trend being that, um, you know, Americans tend to support the idea of racial equality in principle, but when it gets down to approving specific measures, uh, they're less so. Yeah, it kind of gets to uh, a frequent criticism of California liberalism in which as a state and as a, a voting block tends to vote for, you know, equity. But when it comes to actually doing it, they won't. Um, I think uh, Ezra Klein wrote a piece a couple weeks ago using the housing crisis as the example of, you know, this is something that has created systemic barriers to many people and people who benefit from those barriers, you know, aren't willing to to give up their low taxes or, you know, to have their neighborhood character changed. And this seems like another example of, 
here's an opportunity to do something to fix a problem, but people aren't willing to kind of give up what they've gained. Yeah, and there are all sorts of reasons why people vote vote a particular way on a measure, and it's probably dangerous to broad brush everybody. But I mean, as a general trend, I don't think any political scientist would doubt that that's that that's what happens. You know, and people go into the ballot box and they bring all sorts of experiences and fears and hopes uh, in there with them, and and they wind up voting voting in particular ways. And um, I don't know how you how you change that. Um, you know, we'll see. Uh, there's a certain there's a certain thinking that maybe the pro forces for Proposition 16, the people who are supporting it, with that large war, war chest. You know, this has been such a busy election season. Everybody's so focused on the presidential race. There really isn't a lot of bandwidth for people to weigh in even on a lot of these measures. So there's some thought that maybe they'll you'll see a huge uh, a huge rash of spending. You know, about five weeks out from the election, you'll see a huge rash of spending. In the coming weeks, it maybe will attempt to remind voters of that more general feeling they had about the need to address racial inequality in our society as we move forward in this proposition. And perhaps it will sway it in the direction that the proponents hope it will go. Mm-hmm. And uh, this story was in the Sunday paper and it published over the weekend. What has the reader reaction been? Because, of course, this is a touchy subject. Well, yeah, I mean, I've heard from both sides. You know, there's some people some voters who objected to the idea that because they are opposed to affirmative action, some people might think that they're racist. I mean, I, we, didn't, we, we took pains in the story not to call anybody names like that. Um, and then there are other people who appreciated being reminded of the, um, you know, that sort of uh, discrepancy between uh, the talk people talk about this and the walk that they walk when they go into the polling places. So mm-hmm. it's, been, it's been a little bit mixed. All right. John Wilkins. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the San Diego News Fix. It's Tuesday, so listen to the latest episode of Name Drop. Here the UT's Abby Hamblin and Christy Totten interview Michael Vu, San Diego County's Registrar of Voters. Name Drop San Diego is available wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is made possible by subscribers to the San Diego Union Tribune. As we live through this momentous time in history, the truth and facts matter. If you're not yet a subscriber, please go to uniontrib.com slash subscribe. Until next time.